And the award goes to... The award goes to... The award... Goes to... What an incredible award this truly is. Oh, well torn. Thank you. Uh, this is a... We have a dual winner. Oh, dual winners. He is opening the gold envelope. Okay. He's got the gold envelope. Right, right, let's, do let's do it. Let's do it. Very exciting. It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Avergan. This week, we are proud to present the 2015 Data Awards, highlighting the most interesting stories and people of the year. And what a year it's been. This is our annual year-end extravaganza, annual because this is the first year of this podcast, and I just decided we'll do it again next year. Everyone is taking their seats after walking the red carpet. I'm wearing a tux. I swear I am. I'm wearing a tux. The lights are dimming in the studio. We have about a dozen awards to present in a number of exciting categories, and each award will be presented by a different 538 writer. I couldn't convince them to dress up, but still, it's a real star-studded affair. So, without further ado, let's get on with it. The What's the Point 2015 Data Awards begin now. We are back from a commercial break at the 2015 538 Data Awards. Here to present is Oliver Rader. Ollie, thanks for joining us this evening. It's like 2 p.m., but... Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Jody. My my limo is double parked outside, so hopefully this... (laughs) We'll get on with it. Um, Ollie, you are here to present one of tonight's most special awards, the most insidious manipulation of data in 2015. Will you please do the honors? The award for most insidious manipulation of data goes to Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Big winners this year. Remind us, why is Volkswagen getting this award? So back in October, Volkswagen basically got caught um, by the EPA manipulating data on uh, emissions of their vehicles. And basically they had little gizmo in the car, something called a defeat device. And uh, there was soft- I wonder if that was the internal name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly a defeat device for Volkswagen. Now, it's actually, this scandal caused them to have their first quarterly loss in a few years. So this device, uh, there was software in the car uh, that basically knew if the car was being tested. And, and if it detected that the car was in test mode, it would change the performance of the engine so that it seemed to the testing device that the cars actually emitted quite a bit less uh, than they did if you were actually driving it on the road. So there is actually like really ingenious German engineering going into this defeat device. I mean, they worked hard to create this thing. I mean, I know you called it a little gizmo, but it was a real cover-up and real like awful manipulation. And I read that when it was in test mode – it cut its emissions by like something like 40 times. And then it would, when it would go out on the road, it would just be spewing out pollutants at a level that was, you know, completely unacceptable by EPA standards. Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah, once the cars were actually on the road and the emissions were being detected properly, uh, they were 40 times higher than limits allowable in the U.S. 
And so the EPA would test it in a lab. It would work fine because it would, but then they started noticing, but wait, when we take this out on the road, like it, it drives different, all these other different things are happening to this car. And then they started looking into it. The head of Volkswagen in the US had to resign as a result. You said that there was a big financial hit to Volkswagen, but are there larger lessons from this story about you know, as cars or just our our lives in general become more and more data driven and more and more reliant on algorithms and tech, are we going to see more stories like this? Yeah, I think the lesson here is just because it's data doesn't mean, you know, it's reliable, right? I think, you know, especially us here at 538 as data journalists, you know, there's a lesson for us, which I think is to kind of explore the provenance of, of your data, just because there's a lot of numbers doesn't mean they can necessarily be trusted. And I think hiding behind capital D data, um, whether it's, you know, when you're writing a story or running a car company, it's always, you know, very important to, to kind of go, go to the source and see if this data is being generated in, in a reliable and, and trustworthy way. So Volkswagen is the big winner tonight in this insidious manipulation of data award, but we do have a runner-up or an honorable mention, don't we? And, and in fact, we have two. Uh, the sort of uh, <laughs> we're very generous here. Yeah. Um, so DraftKings and FanDuel, the sort of uh, twin giants of the daily fantasy sports uh, business, uh, who also have been caught uh, basically doing a kind of form of insider trading. So the the biggest winners on either DraftKings or FanDuel tend to be employees of the other company. So they'll use inside uh, you know, data, that proprietary data they have access to, how bets are coming down um, on their site to use that to sort of manipulate and, uh, and make uh, more efficient picks on, on the So on an the employee site. of DraftKings would sort of get a sense for, oh, this player's hot this week, and then go spend their own money in FanDuel and, and lo and behold, end up winning? Exactly right. And there's a number of stories of, yeah, really big money winners who have been employed by, uh, basically, by the rival of, of the site on which they were playing. And, and this, you know, was such a big deal, there was actually a question about it uh, at a recent uh, GOP presidential debate. DraftKings, FanDuel, your, your smaller statuette is in the mail. Volkswagen, your much larger medal is on its way. But Ollie Rader, thank you very much for presenting. Thanks, Jody. The Data Awards continue. Walt Hickey is here. <laughs> you look very excited. I'm so excited. It's an honor to be honored. Whenever the two presenters walk out, it's, one of them is always like, um, you know, my publicist may be here. And then the other one is actually very, very excited. Yeah, um, so I, I'm psyched to be here. Walt, you are here to present 538's Data Hack Most Straight Out of a Hollywood Movie Award. And you, what an incredible award this truly is. You want to do the honors? I, I would love to. He is opening the golden envelope. Okay. And the award for the data hack most straight out of a Hollywood movie goes to Sony Pictures. <laughs> Sony Pictures. So this is a hack, the Sony hack, which yes. I think most people know about. This actually technically happened at the end of 2014, right? Right. So not eligible for last year's ceremony <laughs> if we had last year's ceremony. Uh, yeah, they rolled it out during the award season. Yeah. I could tell. Uh, but <laughs> but just to recap for people, because it has been like a year since uh, a year or so since people paid attention and – Maybe has the story changed? What exactly do we know about that Sony hack? Yeah, so the Sony hack itself, I, they're not 100% sure still who was behind it. The early story was it was North Korea, and then the latter story was like, eh, let's slow down a bit. And retribution for that movie, The Interview, right? The Interview, yes, uh, which honestly was not the worst movie I have ever seen. Uh, it was it was pretty solid. But um, So <laughs> it, that was the original claim, uh, and we'll see how that bears out. 
But that's not my job. Uh, what we're here to talk about is how awesome the the narrative kind of evolved this right. year. So, so what started as this kind of hack and this weird story of North Korea hacked around this this you know comedy, the Seth Rogen comedy, it uncovered a bunch of information about how Hollywood works and yeah. actually some pretty kind of in-depth and, and, and sort of important storylines emerged over the course of 2015, which is why we are awarding it. Out of more this year. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you had the gossip stuff. You had, like, the, the people uh, talking crap about movies or saying that – or, like, making jokes about, like, big Hollywood movie stars. If there's a lesson here, it, it's like if you're going to make somebody f- – fun of somebody famous, do not do it in print. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how often people just do this kind of stuff with, like, their Gmail account or their work oh, yeah. account. It's like, yeah. come on. But what was the stuff of substance that we learned from the Sony hack? So one of the cool things that we learned uh, – I mean not cool but I mean like very interesting that really motivated a conversation was um, Jennifer Lawrence was having conversations with Sony uh, because as a result of the hack, she found out that she was making less money uh, as, as a result of, of, of filming American Hustle uh, than her male co-stars were. Um, Jeremy Renner, the other male actors in the movie were each getting I believe nine points or so on, uh, on the back-end money uh, – Whereas Jennifer Lawrence uh, was only getting seven, and she was actually originally at five, if I recall correctly. So as a result of the uh, as a result of the hack and this information coming out, um, she learned like, yeah, I'm actually being disproportionately paid less money than my co-stars who are male, and I'm also like, the Hunger Games are a pretty big deal, yeah. right? So like, like the argument for why she should be making less money uh, doesn't really hold a ton of water when you kind of point to like, you know, her her incredible talents and whatnot. And this is actually something that you have done some reporting on the gender gap in. Hollywood and not it's not just about pay it's also about uh, who gets directing nods um, you know all sorts of things it's just pervasive throughout the industry yeah we, we've done some research on this ourselves we've also profiled groups who, who are doing some more uh, like uh, granular research when it comes to actually individual films what we looked at was we looked at um, something called the Bechdel test which is a, a way to kind of describe how uh, if there are two women in a film who have a conversation that isn't about a man, um, which is just kind of like the baseline of what you'd expect. And it is amazing how many films do not pass shocking, the Bechdel test. It's shocking. Like, like an appalling – like it was only like half if I remember correctly. This was about a year ago. But we, what we found actually was that films that, that, that pass the test that do have uh, ostensibly like bare minimum solid roles for women, uh, they actually tended to do better when it came to the return on investment, like the, their their budget versus how much they, money they actually made. Uh, so, so they're really is, is not a financial case uh, for, for paying women less uh, when it comes to films, much to the contrary, actually. But so we've also profiled groups like the Media and Diversity and Social Change Initiative uh, at the University uh, of uh, Southern California at Annenberg, uh, and they're doing really cool research when it comes to actually like itemizing every single speaking character in a film to find out how many of them speak, uh, the prominence of the role, whether or not they're sexualized in the process of performing. And, and they're just finding, again, consistently ludicrous stuff coming out from the industry. So the Sony hack, uh, say what you will about the logistics of it and, and what went down and the delightful gossip from it. But, uh, you know, it, it actually may have the effect of, of kind of bringing this issue to the forefront. All right. Walt Hickey, thank you very much for presenting this award. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor to be here. Have a beautiful evening. You can now go get plastered in the audience. I was already doing that before I got here. Thank you. The Data Awards continue with our next presenter, 538's own Farai Shadea, a past guest on What's the Point and a columnist for the site Farai. It's been a special evening so far. Yes. Everyone looks great. Yes, I've got my ball gown on. (laughs) Yes. Farai, thank you. For joining us, what award are you here 
to present. Oh, well, I've got the data set that keeps on giving. The data set that keeps on giving award. This is one of our favorite awards each and every year. 2015's winner is, will you please open the envelope? Oh, nicely torn. It's the Ashley Madison hack. Yay! <laughs> so the data set that keeps on giving. Cheaters never lie. Cheaters never lie. but something. But there's lots <laughs> of very good stories inside of that data set. So um, uh, do you know that I'm a member of the data set? We'll get there. We'll, <laughs> I, I, do, I did know that, but I want, I want that story. But for people who don't know exactly what we're talking about, uh, tell us what is the Ashley Madison data set and why does it keep on giving? So uh, Ashley Madison got a lot of notice when it launched a few years ago as a site specifically designed for cheaters. You know, there's a lot of dating sites out there. You know, you can probably find ways to cheat on any of them. But if you really want just to be a cheater, you can go to Ashley Madison, which markets itself as such. And in July, there was a group calling itself the Impact Team, which some people associated with Anonymous and other people said were basically uh, probably contractors to the company that said that they were going to release data about Ashley Madison's millions of users. And and listen to this. The rationale from the impact team was that Ashley Madison was running a scam on people who wanted to stop using Ashley Madison <laughs> so that if you wanted to get off the site, they would charge you to scrub your records like you had to pay for a complete removal of your information from the system but the impact team says you know what they never actually scrub your information and the to prove that and to prove that we're going to leak it now we're, so 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 yeah, yeah think about that there. the logic is like really morally ambiguous to say the least but it's just kept rolling forward, you know, um, revelation after revelation, the troubled Duggar family, you know, the Christian conservatives who um, have their reality TV show, Josh Duggar, who already had other sex scandals, was revealed to have paid for a guaranteed affair, which is actually the name of a service. Guaranteed Ash- affair. Guaranteed affair right, is so there an were these, upgrade. Like, waves of report. I mean, feel like there were entire websites that were built around just like every week we can dive back into this data set, find Find a new storyline or just even, you know, a new name of some notable person or hypocritical person and uh, and expose them or write it out. But, you know, to your to your mind, a few months later, with some perspective, kind of what are the big lessons, if that's the right word, from from this data set? Well, the first lesson is don't use your business email for personal business of this sort. (laughs) There were thousands of, of users who used dot mil military or dot gov um us government 15,000 emails associated with those i'll explain in a second why it may not track to 15,000 people um but but if there's certainly some of them were real um and let's put it this way not only is it poor form it also exposes your business to potential risks not smart now, the reason I say that that the 15,000 emails may not track to 15,000 people um, who were using the site is because I myself am technically an Ashley Madison user, according to... So you share a small part I in this award. You're not about, just a presenter tonight. I'm not just a presenter. <laughs> I, Wait, but your email was in there? My email was in there because... 
a guy named Farai in South Africa, and Farai is a very common gender neutral name in Southern Africa. A guy named Farai in South Africa opened an Ashley Madison account and somehow linked to my Gmail. And I saw that he had linked to my Gmail and I unlinked him. You can do that as the mm-hmm. primary account holder, but not before Ashley Madison had registered my email as the primary email for his account. So I was getting email about his matches and all, really? the, all the chickies who wanted to be so you- you knew this. You were getting these. Oh, I was getting these. And then when I tried to unsubscribe, I got the what I call the ransom letter. Oh, it also wow. shows just such poor data hygiene on the part of Ashley Madison. Like, how could they have not confirmed that? I mean, they allowed me access to this guy's account. So one of the other things that one of the other pieces of reporting that I liked the coming out of this data set that I kept giving was someone sort of aggregated all of the uh, kind of like a more emotionally fraught throwaway addresses that people were using. So people were you, were registering a fake address, but it was like, I can't believe I'm doing this yes. at hotmail.com or like, please don't tell my wife seven at gmail.com or whatever. And someone, you know, so those were in there as well. There are all sorts of different storylines. The, the one other storyline that I think is interesting, I know you've thought about this too, is uh, the, the number of bots yeah. that were in there. So Ashley Madison w- was running these bots, right? Yeah. So um, there's there's a, a lot of evidence that Ashley Madison, a lot of the female accounts actually are traceable back to Ashley Madison's servers. There was a surplus of men seeking cheating companionship. And so to fill the surplus, the company created these fake and women. what's the end game there? I guess they play it out and then at some point the bot finds an excuse to never actually meet up, but the men get to feel like they're flirting with someone online. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, to be honest, a lot of times based on human behavior, a lot of people who might even sign up for a cheating website probably don't even really want to cheat. They just want to feel like they're sought after. And everyone, I will say, that excuse you just offered was the exact excuse that everyone who got caught in Ashley Madison used. Except me. Right, except me. I'm using the it wasn't me excuse, which was the other excuse everyone used. that's the like, I didn't inhale of Ashley Madison. Right, it's so true. I signed up, but I didn't actually ever meet up. Um, All right, Farashidea, thank you for presenting this award. I guess we say congratulations to Ashley Madison for winning this award and having such bad data hygiene or... Yeah, I sort of wish that we could give away some body scrub with this. (laughs) (laughs) Or congratulations to Anonymous for your twisted logic that nevertheless led to the data set that keeps on giving fresh data. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jody. The 2015 538, that's a lot of numbers. Yeah. The 2015 538 Data Awards continue. Here to present our next award is sports writer Neil Payne, one of the panelists on Hot Takedown. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jody. And uh, you're you're dressed so immaculately. <laughs> so, Neil, you are here to present the award in the sports wearables category, a.k.a. Grossest misapplication of NSA level technology. That's right. Uh, I'm curious what this is, but open it up. All right. Uh, can we get a drum roll or? Uh, we'll, we'll pipe that in. We'll later. pipe it in later. We'll put it in post. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So the award goes to RFID tracking chips in the NFL. Okay. So this is our sports category. Um, 
And RFID is radio frequency ID, I think. Right? Identification, and this is yeah. Identification. And this is something that happened this year in the NFL is that every NFL player has like a microchip implanted not implanted in them. <laughs> no i don't think it was surgically <laughs> we'll put get there. roger goodell them. will soon surgically implant individually in i mean player. i wouldn't be surprised yeah. uh yeah but what what is this technology so basically uh, every player is now outfitted with these chips that tell their exact position on the field and and you can get really cool stuff at the more granular level too of like how fast are they moving at any given moment uh you know being able to track just all 22 players in the blocking schemes and and detailing it instead of having to sort of scrawl it on a whiteboard now coaches can actually exactly track where their players went you know the wide receiver routes even where you know you, if a guy's rounding off his route and you want it to be crisp you can say ha i have the data on on exactly how sloppy you've been on this pattern and is that making your life easier as a as someone who's crunching data to do sports reporting i would say not quite yet because the the application that's been provided to the public so far is through xbox it's just been through like visualizations of the game where they have it's like, like instead these... of watching the game you can just watch like dots <laughs> x's <move> and o's <laughs> disembodied you know move around on the field uh, so, uh the early prototype even like didn't have a tracking device on the ball so you sort of had to divide what was happening on that but uh so i think the uh, it's kind of a flashy presentation right now and and you know showing a proof of concept but i think eventually if any of the other sports leagues are an example we'll get really detailed monstrous amounts of data uh on where every player is and that can open up incredible opportunities for analysis right and so this tracking in the nfl is kind of related to a lot of things that are happening in other sports there's this thing called sport vu Mm -hmm. which i know really revolutionized basketball and that was really kind of the next frontier of data analysis is like you can look at stats but what you really want to be able to do is quantify movement uh, in real time in space among a bunch of different players. And it's totally changed the way you like write about basketball. Oh, completely. Right? Yes. Sport VU is just basically these cameras that are placed in every NBA arena and they track where every player is, where the ball is at all times. And so in the past, like the guy keeping score on the sideline back in like the sixties and seventies, he would mark down events whenever they happened as best he could. This guy's smoking a cigar. This right? guy's completely smoking a cigar. He's, he might even be drinking, you know, some kind of, uh, adult beverage and so uh you know they were doing their best to track everything that they could but there was only one person and even you know when it expanded to multiple people uh doing this broadcast they they were still tracking discrete events but they weren't tracking sort of the essence of the game which is where are the human beings that are playing this game at you know a given moment on the court and what can we learn from that it's happening in baseball too right you can like track where runners are and how fast they're going and all right yeah there's this thing called statcast which uses radar technology continuing our sort of military grade technology theme uh and that and that can tell you how fast the runners were moving in terms of miles per hour and how hard the throw from behind the plate was coming and how big the lead the runner took and so uh if you watched a baseball game this season uh you would have seen especially during the playoffs they found a lot of kind of clever ways to apply this data during broadcast to show like in real time you know how how far in from the wall a certain outfielder was you know to illustrate the shifts that defenses are playing uh defense has always been so hard to track because the guy with the cigar is tracking things that did happen and a lot of defense is about preventing things from happening and so the only way to really get at that in an accurate way is to have this technology that shows where all the players are and that's something that we've only been able to do in the past 
last couple of years. Going back to wearables and going back to football, we should, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that there's actually some really serious applications of this around uh, concussion testing. So one of, you know, clearly an issue that football is grappling with and other contact sports are grappling with right now. But because of these, this wearable technology, they are able to put like accelerometers on players and really get a sense of, you know, how fast people are moving, how, how big the impacts are. And that's something that you used to only be able to simulate in a lab where you would bring in, you know, we've all seen those sports science things right. with John Brankus where like you would put stuff on someone and you would try to simulate the effect of being tackled or being sacked or whatever. But, uh, you know, you didn't have it in real game conditions and you also didn't know how many times per game hits of certain magnitudes were taking place in the course of the real action. And so now we have counts of that. And I think the preliminary, uh, you know, studies or numbers or sense that I get is that it, it is something where, you know, as we've seen with a lot of these concussion things, that it's more than we initially thought it was, you know, the number of collisions taking place and the amount of, you know, just pure energy being released into people moving large people moving at these speeds this is where the music comes up and starts to play you off because you start talking crap about the nfl and i know right (laughs) all right neil Payne. on that note unfortunately we'll end but thank you for presenting this award what was it called again the sports wearables aka grossest misapplication of nsa level technology award (laughs) neil Payne, uh panelist on hot takedown which comes out on tuesdays our sports podcast so what's the point listeners should check that out neil thank you very much thank you jody it's been an honor Ruben Fischerbaum is here to present our next award in the 538 Data Awards. Um, thanks for joining us. It's a lot of great data this year. Yeah, it was a really great year yeah. for data. I thought yeah. the same. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of awards to hand out, including this one, which is the Bill de Blasio Award for Best Urban Planning Throwdown. All right, let's do, do it. Let's do it. Very exciting. He's got the gold on. All right, the award goes to... Uber versus the city of New York. All right. So this was actually a really interesting uh, urban planning fight that happened this year that was kind of played out through through data. And you did a tons of great reporting for 538 about it. So just kind of set set the verses here. Uber versus New York. Yeah. So basically this year, Uber kind of flooded the New York market. And there was this big question about whether or not it was adding all this congestion to Manhattan, in particular, all this rush hour traffic. And the city was insisting that it was, and they wanted to add all these kind of regulations for how many cars could be in there. And Uber was pushing back. And it kind of came down to this data question about really how many cars were out there picking up people. And Bill de Blasio was basically saying all these Ubers are causing tons of congestion. Right, right. That they were adding an entirely new fleet of cars onto this taxi fleet that's very well regulated, et cetera, et cetera. But then we actually looked into the numbers. Lo and behold, we and actually we did. looked at the it was, it was a good, it took us a while. There's yeah. a lot of numbers, but there's this entire data set of every single taxi pickup in New York City and also every single Uber pickup that we got through a FOIA request. Uh, and we dug through and we found that throughout all of New York City, Uber is adding tons and tons of pickups. But in Manhattan, in the core of Manhattan, where the fight was about, there weren't. For every single pickup that Uber was adding, a taxi was losing a pickup. So the net change in total pickups was basically like perfectly zero. So there are tons of Ubers. No one's disputing that. Oh, yeah. But Uber, they're, yeah, but Uber. they're replacing cabs. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Uber is actually like really, really quickly taking over the cab market in Manhattan. 
And outside of Manhattan, you said that they actually are sort of adding a lot on on two cabs. But does that mean that they're basically filling uh, a need in areas that weren't being serviced by cabs? Yeah, right. And so that I would say yes, because the entire point of the green cab program was to get more cabs to these to Brooklyn, to Queens, these areas that weren't being served. These are these new cabs in in New York City that are specifically designed to serve the outer boroughs. Right. So from the city's position, if we were adding a lot of rides in Brooklyn, where the city just specifically tried to add a bunch of cabs, uh, they can't really claim that that's kind of a... Yeah. So so from my perspective, this was a really fascinating kind of data answer to this one particular fight. And it's nice when when data can sort of uh, adjudicate in this way, Mm -hmm. when two sides are trying to make an argument. But it felt like the congestion question was like a proxy fight for what Uber actually is, which is this larger question about regulation around all of these new transportation vehicles on the on the market. Right. And so, I have to say any any sort of big data story we do, no matter how proud of it, comes with like its fair share of caveats. So the first that is absolutely true that it's possible that Uber is doing a lot of destructive things to the New York transportation market, but kind of in this one narrow case of congestion, it's not clear exactly that they're doing anything problematic in Manhattan. So again, this is like a really interesting investigation, but it still leaves this big fight out there about regulation around something like Uber. And I think that that's going to continue to be fought. Maybe not, you know, the, the grounds of that fight might not be this tra- this congestion question, but that regulation fight is, is certainly going to continue both in New York and, and elsewhere. Now, there was a runner-up in this category, right? There was. If they had gotten onto uh, kind of into the news a little earlier, just Airbnb they just missed award season. Just missed award season, but Airbnb is kind of having almost the identical fight with the city of New York about whether their people are skirting regulations. Right, people so basically are renting their apartments out like hotels illegally, which I mean, they it's are. Like, yeah, obviously. It is. <laughs> yes, they are. But yeah. it's like this clean parallel. It's like are Uber's taxis and are Airbnb's hotels? Exactly, and. and I think that there will be kind of some – there will be a big year for legislation on that. The answer to me seems that yes, to they both. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But on the data front, uh, are we starting – are we going to see uh, the same kind of data for Airbnb that we got from Uber to try and start it, to answer some of these questions? I think that we won't yet because Uber kind of released all their data through this FOIA. It was public. You could dig through it. Airbnb – had this day where you could go to the NYC Airbnb office and take pictures of their spreadsheets, I think. So they have not been quite so forthcoming with their data, which maybe leads me to think that they would not it would not reflect on them as well as it is reflected on Uber. So we'll see, and I'm sure, you know, maybe you'll be writing about it soon. But yeah, definitely a, a data set we want to get our hands on and start to dig into. Uh, okay, Ruben Fisherbaum, thanks for presenting this award. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. That's it for part one of the Data Awards. We'll be back next week with the remaining categories. Lots of stories still to discuss. Lots of nominees anxiously waiting to see if they are the lucky winners. It's going to be a magical remainder of the evening. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Our video producer is Ryan Nantel. Joel Warner helped mix and produce this episode. Tony Chow helped with video. My name is Jody Avergan. You can email me at podcasts at 538.com. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, where you can see a picture of me in the tux. 
Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, host of the Song Exploder podcast. You can find a link to download the theme song he wrote for this podcast on our website, 538.com slash podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to What's the Point in iTunes or your favorite podcast client now. That way you won't miss part two of the Data Awards. And give us a rating and a review. It really does help others discover the show. Thanks for listening. Congratulations to all our big winners this evening. See you soon. Hello, What's the Point listeners? I'm Chadwick Matlin. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Neil Payne. And together we make up the crew of Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. Kate, how would you describe the show if you had to do it in like five seconds? It's freaking awesome. Okay, Neil? We take down hot takes. Look at that. That's we- sort of the title. Good point. <laughs> so if you want to hear us talk about the week in sports news and what people are talking about in an uninformed way and ha- hear about the data and the stats and the analytics that take them down... Subscribe in the iTunes store, search for Hot Takedown to find us. We'll talk to you then. Do it.